With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Roll Bama Roll podcast. I'm Wesley Gullett. As always, I'll be joined by Brad Canning. Brad, there's a lot to take in following the opening week of college football. We'll start with Alabama and Duke. The positives, both tight ends, Miller, Forrestal, and Major Tennyson catch touchdown passes. This is following a huge year from Irv Smith, and who is in attendance on Saturday as a guest of Alabama's, the top tight end in the nation, five-star Eric Gilbert out of Marietta, Georgia. Absolutely just a coincidence, not Nick Saban doing what he does best, (laughs) which is always being one step ahead of everybody else. Don't look into it any more than that. Look, Eric Gilbert, top 10 player nationally. A tight end ranked that high as a rarity. It's just not not a common occurrence in recruiting rankings. It's presumed that Eric Gilbert's top two are Alabama and Tennessee. He has two high school teammates currently committed to the Vols. We'll get to the uh, Tennessee debacle shortly. But if you're Eric Gilbert, put yourself in his shoes, Brad. You see two tight ends at Alabama catching touchdown passes. You see Alabama take care of business. You know what they've produced recently in O.J. Howard and Irv Smith. Uh, you see another former Alabama tight end make a 53-man roster this week in Hell Hinches. Then on the other side, you see Tennessee drop their opener to Georgia State. I think, I think losing or winning one game when you have recruits in attendance or, or on campus, that gets overblown sometimes. But Saturday mattered. When it comes to the December and February signing periods, Saturday mattered. Yeah, it hurts you more than it does help you in that situation for obvious reasons. And I mean, hell, I don't care what tight ends they are. Even the ones on the team are wondering why they're there. <laughs> uh, speaking of, one of those is Dominic Wood Anderson, who was Alabama's top tight end prospect on their board two cycles ago. How do you think he feels right now? Well, I mean, sorry, buddy. We tried our best <laughs> to get you there. You know, you, you, you want to drink the water. We tried to tell you now. Yeah. Something else stood out to me in the passing game as well. It was brief, maybe overlooked. One catch for five yards would not seem significant in most situations, but John Mechie getting a small amount of early playing time and making a catch in the first half, that is major to me. What does it say about a true freshman that he would even be considered at all for playing time on the field with this group of receivers that Alabama has? I mean, I don't know. Do we start up the Bolitnikoff chant for him ahead of time? Like, because he's going to step right in behind Judy this year. I mean, we knew he was very talented coming in, but just to be able to get him in there for at least one snap says, you know, like you're you're pointing out, it says more than you need to know. Yeah, I knew he was talented. I didn't know he was get playing time immediately with this group talented. Yeah, unless they're like pulling some random, you know, LSU type mask situation, uh, which speaking of, my God, they put up as many points as they did against a terrible opponent. Now we're going to hear about how great they are. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but no, hey, look, uh, we're not even seeing guys like Tyrell Shavers, and, you know, who's got a big body when you get in the red zone, which is going to be something Alabama's going to need if they can't get this offensive line situation figured out. So we got depth. My God, it's uh, it's plentiful. This is the best collective group of receivers to ever suited up at one time for Alabama. So for him to get 
time in game one it really says a lot. I don't know how much significant time he'll get as the season progresses, but he enrolled early as the only receiver in the 2019 class. He won MVP at 8A for the spring, spring game. Obviously, that's kind of carried over into the fall, and the receiving core seems to be in, in pretty good hands, even if Alabama has a few guys declare early after the season. Let me ask you this, sticking with the receivers. My eyes kind of roll to the back of my head when I see Heisman discussion from ESPN or, or FS1 or whoever in week one. You can probably lose the Heisman in week one, but nobody is winning it. Mm. So I want to put you on the spot a little. You have one week of evidence. 10 catches, 137 yards, one touchdown. I need a hard yes or no. Is Jerry Judy in New York for the Heisman ceremony? No. Because <sighs> ETN, uh, Tua, Jalen, there's your first three right there that are getting invites. I think he will be. I, I'm, I'm, I mean, how many are we inviting, though? That's the other thing. <laughs> that's true. You know, it, yeah. it used to be three, then it went to five, then it went to a bus. I think know? it I think it goes by, like, the percentage. What percentage of ballots were you on? Yeah. I think he will be the third-ever two-time Bolitnikoff winner. I think he'll be in New York. And I think when Jerry Judy goes off to the NFL, at some point we will look back and we'll consider him the best college-wide receiver of the Nick Saban era. And let's remember that. I mean, that answer is off of for week one. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, when he's there, I will know I'm right uh, <laughs> or wrong. So, no, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think it's unreal how far he's come, and he's been so damn just incredible from the beginning. You know, and to think he can continue to get better and, and do more. I just love watching him. It makes it makes everybody on the field look like a fool. You know, that guy, he, he's got the best juke and spin move that we've seen at Alabama right now, too. No offense to Eddie Lacy or Mark Ingram. Uh, it, it's incredible. He, he's Windex. Think about the number ones that have been on campus for Nick Saban. Julio Jones, uh, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley. So, mm-hmm. I just think when we look – I mean, that's uh, – of course, I think Julio Jones is going to go down as one of the greatest receivers to ever live when it comes to pro football and all of that. His his tenure at Alabama, I don't think was as it, it was probably more important than any of those other guys. Just him him being there. But as far as production goes, uh, and some of that's not his fault. I mean, John Parker Wilson was his his quarterback in '08, and you know Greg McElroy. That so it, it was a little more limited than an offense with Tua throwing these guys the ball, right? Yeah. But I think purely based on like college production, Jerry Judy is going to go down as as number one. Yeah, it's going to be tough to ar- to argue against that. You know, Julio started this entire trend, so if anything, you got a Nick Saban coaching tree, well, you got a Julio Jones receiving tree. Yeah, no doubt. That's why I say, like, Julio Jones was probably the most important a recruit or, you know, player at that position and everything, looking back, because he, he kind of he started all of this. He really – I don't know that he necessarily, like, started the recruiting trend in general for Alabama, but he helped kickstart it. Yeah, he helped solidify uh, – Nick Saban's pedigree, essentially, and what he was doing. Yeah, moving on to the defensive side of the ball, some worry was alleviated uh, with the true freshman middle linebackers for me. Shane Lee, Christian Harris, they were everything they that we hoped they'd be. By far, I, I mean, I didn't expect terrible, but by far beat my expectations. You know, they they played fundamentally just the basics. They It was great. I mean, absolutely great. And I'm a little upset for old Stump because <laughs> damn coaching staff left them off players, you know, defensive player list uh, of the week. So it's got me a little upset for him. But no, I mean, great game. 
Hopefully it can stay that way. I know it's not. There's going to be some growing pains. But, man, that defense, uh, especially that secondary, had some pretty good moments. Yeah, they didn't want to inflate his ego. That had to be it, like right off the bat, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. It's like one of those <laughs> rookies that get just gets called up, you know, hits a home run, and everyone in the dugout doesn't even look yeah. at him or congratulate yeah. him. It's got to be one of those, I right. guess. Just ignore Shane Lee, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know it was one game. I know it was Duke. They're not going to be flawless. Like you said, I fully expect them to hit some bumps along the way. But I feel significantly better about the situation at linebacker than I did two weeks ago. Not only with those two, but with Terrell Lewis and his performance coming off an injury as well. We know he's a clone. We know he's a, we know he's a machine. But, I mean, to see him back out there again and make that sack that first time, I mean, uh, that was a good moment. And Todd McShay said it best. Uh, he's got top 10, top 15 potential if he could stay healthy all year. And that's the biggest thing. Because if not, you could be talking about a guy that's Sunday pick instead. So he's literally has such a stretch between his ceiling and his floor. But his talent will never change. It's there. I hope to God he stays healthy. Because that's another area we don't have a lot of at least experience depth at. Yeah. If there is one player that I want to see have a huge season, it is him. He absolutely deserves it. Some of the negatives, I don't want to overreact here, but I didn't expect to have question marks about the offensive line going into the season. They they didn't really have the dominant performance that I thought they'd have. No, the only question mark you should ever have, anyways, is right guard. As I beat to beat, you know, I beat like a dead horse here. So, but it was terrible first half. The guys are trying to rotate guys in. They just couldn't mesh. They couldn't gel. Duke. Man, Duke was doing some crazy stunts uh, throughout the game. Props to them. But uh, they, they kind of got it together a lot more. And I think as it comes together more too throughout the season, hopefully by the time A&M on the road rolls around, we got it figured out because that's going to be a problem if not. Yeah, I know a lot of people nationally and even within our fan base complain about a team like Alabama playing a team like New Mexico State. But this is where I like them playing an opponent like this because you see that the offensive line needs more reps together you know that they're talented enough to, to dominate most everyone. It's just a matter of gelling and, and coming together as a unit. New Mexico State provides a low-pressure situation for them where they can work on what they know they need to work on. It gives them that extra week before heading off on the road to South Carolina. Yeah, and these are one of those games, too, where you can work on those things, but the other thing is, too, you, you got to stay healthy. Yeah, and we'll get to the, the New Mexico State game shortly. Uh, I also thought... For Saturday, I thought the Caho at fullback experiment, that wrinkle, I thought that was kind of odd. Oh, you mean the whole Mac Jones, uh, (laughs) you know, ghost appearance? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the commentators thought it was Mac Jones. Uh, It was Ale Caho coming in at fullback. Nick Saban went on record saying he thought it was a good role for him. Caho seemed to enjoy it when he was asked about it. Just paraphrasing a little bit, but he viewed it as a way to get on the field and contribute and use that to potentially get his foot in the door for seeing the field even more going forward. But he genuinely seemed to embrace that role, which was really good to see. So it looks like that's something that we'll continue to see used. Yeah, and I miss the old, you know, heavy set packages we used to throw out there too. So he made a big deal, you know, by moving down here, uh, leaving Washington last year. So uh, he's gotten some things straightened out. And it's good to see him getting some playing time and being, you know, willing to go out there and play that fullback role as a scout of Mac Jones out there. <laughs> Moving on and taking a look around the conference, Brad, according to ESPN's FPI system, Tennessee's loss to Georgia State was the fourth worst loss in the history of college football ever. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> 
We always, we never know you're living in history until it's over. <laughs> Look, it's so odd to me. It's essentially become who Tennessee is now to have talent on paper and never being able to show it. There, there have been times where Jarrett Gar- Garantano looked like he would be one of the top quarterbacks in the conference, and it's just always been up and down for him from there. I looked through their depth chart earlier today. 14 of their contributors had offers from Alabama. 14 players that play for them. It is really hard to justify this loss when you know that. Oh, I'm embarrassed to know that. (laughs) (laughs) State of the program effect, man. That says Um, something about Nick Saban's uh, evaluation skills. No, it says something about uh, Jeremy Pruitt's devaluation skills. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, My God, every week it just gets worse for – me actually wanting through it, but uh, man, it's it, it wasn't even just quitting on a play. I mean, it, it, there was nothing there throughout this game. They just flat out got outplayed. They got their ass kicked in all these phases of the game. Like it, it should not have been the way it was. And then they couldn't do no right. You know, when they're actually trying to pull away and win this game in the final five minutes of the game, it's like everything they could do wrong, they did it. There's a large portion of that fan base that just seems like they gave up completely after that game. Like If they don't rebound and rebound quick, the fallout from that one game may be too tough for that entire program to overcome. I live near the Nashville area, and people are done with them. And, I mean, it seems like they're for real. They are done. Well, this has been the plan all along for Philip Fulmer, so that way he could become head coach again, was to hire a puppet that wouldn't challenge him too much. He gets the AD role. Now it goes to shit. He can step in, and he can be a Barry Alvarez, and he can be a head coach and athletic director again. Jeremy Pruitt is a top-tier defensive coordinator. Any program on this planet would be lucky to have them calling their calling have him calling their defense. But those who clamored for him to be Alabama's next head football coach, they might want to go sit in the corner for a little while. Hey, I did not clamor. I only made a prediction for a few years down the road. There's a difference. It's going to need to get a lot better before. I mean, I, I, dude, Rich Rod wasn't even this bad after (laughs) he left West Virginia. (laughs) Like, uh, this is, this is pretty damn bad. Uh, and I know we all hate to see it, you know, and and hashtag thoughts and prayers, but, uh, I don't know where they go from here, but man, (laughs) your season. You've already uh, you've got about the worst loss, according to ESPN. You got about one of the worst losses you could ever get out of the way. So go out there and try to get you a W. <laughs> it's all uphill from there. Are you buying the LSU hype? A little bit, man. I, I was this way going into the season. Um, I just wanted to see overall how they played together on offense. Uh, they always tout, "Oh, we're going to tweak this and tweak that. We're going to put this in motion, yada yada." It never really translates, and I'm not considering what happened this past Saturday, is it translating? Because I want to see what it does this coming weekend because Texas has a great defensive front. they got a pretty damn good defense, too, overall. So I think it's going to be a good game, a hostile environment. It's going to be an early test and a tell of where LSU is. They won 10 games last year and won a fluke on most of them. Yeah. And I think they can do it again. I really do. I think their defense is, is incredible. Uh, I think offensively they're going to be efficient enough. They got a great O line. They they got a pretty tough schedule, but uh, I'm buying it to an extent of second in the West. I'm not buying it to the extent of they're going to beat Alabama finally and you know go to Atlanta. No. Yeah. 
I, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of buying it. And look, Georgia Southern is not the measuring stick you want to use to determine if a team is elite, but I think they kind of have a perfect storm right now. I'm not a huge Joe Burrow believer, but an upperclassman at quarterback that can can complete a forward pass is a positive for LSU. That's a change. Uh, and they don't need him to be great. They just need him to be kind of good. Yeah, I mean, like, make more than 50% of your passes in a season kind of good. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I'm starting to buy into the LSU narrative this season. I will say this. If Coach O cannot win anything of note this season, it's hard to see him ever doing it. Oh, well, he's got to – I mean, even if they have uh, the same season again last year, I don't see it happening. He's got to go through us and then Georgia. No, it's not. It's it's tough. Right now he's trying to be great in a time where there's not enough room at the table, especially with Jimbo, you know, trying to get a chair pull up to the table too in the next year or two. And finally, Auburn. Can can we slow down with the Bo Nix hype for a a few weeks at least? No, no. (laughs) Give all of it. Give him the Jeremy Johnson freaking wash. I mean, I want it all. I want every bit of it. Those, those are great moments. The old bow picks, you know, like just out here slinging arm punts and stuff. So Yeah, he, uh, he helped make a play to win the game. He did. I think his natural talent is obvious. He has it. He's probably going to be a really good player for, their, for them down the road. But he went 13 for 31 passing. I mean – with two touchdowns, two interceptions, he looked like a freshman making his first start. A 41% completion percentage is not going to beat the top three or four teams in the league. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. No, but he got a win like that on a lofty, almost arguably underthrown pass Mm -hmm. as time expired to win the game in the very first week. And he has nothing but time leading up to the Georgia game in Auburn. And you already know. They win against Georgia. Start going ahead and making plans for uh, Iron Bowl, and it ain't going to be to go to the game. Because you already know, this dude's going to be the second coming of a, a Cam and Johnny Menzel, you know, spawn uh, when Alabama comes to town at the end of the season with the type of luck Auburn could have. Yeah. Because it, it it was like clockwork. Third quarter, I sent a tweet out saying, I already know this game somehow going down into the final minutes of the fourth quarter, Auburn's going to have some lucky bullshit happen, and they're going to win the game. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one lucky moment down, though, right? Yeah, but, I mean, do they have a limit? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this was know. neutral site, too. It wasn't even a home ticket cashed in, you know? Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, in- anyways, the SEC West looks <laughs> pretty brutal right now. Kellen Mond looked spectacular for A&M. I know they, they played not, not a very good opponent. We'll know more about them this week. LSU looks like a top-10 team, whether, whether it was pretty or not. Auburn beat a really quality opponent, and, of course, Alabama – uh, the SEC East, on the other hand, uh, <laughs> Nike should just go ahead and start printing the division championship shirts and passing them out in Athens. Freaking South Carolina. Dude, I, I got a little weird, and I went up with Bill Conley's SP ranking stuff, and I placed some bets. I did some 18 parlays and teasers. You only bet in 10, 15 bucks, but they're going to win on the teasers, five, almost 600 bucks, and the parlay over $1,200. I hit seven out of eight on every one of them. And the one damn game I didn't hit 
was freaking Jake Bentley's trash can ass arm <laughs> out here with South Carolina losing to freaking Mac Brown's first game back since yeah. Colt McCoy, you know, wouldn't have got hurt error. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, yeah, that was not a good look from South Carolina. I don't even know what to say about that one. And Jake Bentley's toast. He's not even going to be playing against Alabama in two weeks. So yeah, their true freshman gets the start, uh, his first SEC game against Nick Saban. Yeah, it was going to be a hell of a bunch of lucky damn arm throw, you know, just chunking the shit up against us. Like in 2010, I already can see it now. Let's start panicking. <laughs> All right, looking at this coming week, what do you hope to see out of a game like New Mexico State? Health. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the number one thing. All the calls going Alabama's way. Mm-hmm her norm Mm -hmm. and uh i guess really the other thing is not falling out of a heat stroke it's supposed to be 97 with a heat index of like 108 right now at kickoff so uh, i'm glad we put those new lights in so uh we're gonna be able to enjoy those saturday uh but no i mean those are uh those are two big things i think you want to come away with what about you yeah, no, I've been to some miserable games to watch them play. Like, I've traveled and sat in the heat for 11 a.m. kickoffs to watch them beat UT Chattanooga by 100. I don't know that I would attend this game if I lived on campus. I'm not kidding. 97 for for a game that they're favored 55 in. I would, like, I would travel to the moon to watch them play in a national championship game, but you will not catch me at this one. Like, bless the students – who are actually going to stay the full four quarters for that new the new point system that they're doing? Yeah, the hell with that. Uh, there's no, it's not worth it. The last eleven o'clock game I went to was uh, in 2014 against FAU, and I I think there was ten. There was over ten people that they took out by ambulance that game, mm-hmm. you know, for having a, a heat exhaustion because it, it was temperature was almost 100 degrees. I was in the blower bowl, sun beaming down all of us. It was the most miserable time of my life. No, not going to happen. There's no amount of money they could pay me to do it. Yep. I agree. If that makes us bad fans, whatever. Yeah, Um, whatever. Yeah. Looking across the league for this coming week, can you explain to me how Tennessee is favored three and a half points over BYU? You know, we were talking about them a minute ago. I was going to bring that up, but I had a feeling uh, you may. So (laughs) I don't know. But uh, it is not going to finish and be right. I'm gonna tell you that. It was bet up. Like t- Tennessee opened as a one point favorite, and the money is coming in on the balls. I mean, is like half the BYU team about to have a beer, you know, and kiss a girl and get suspended? <laughs> like, is that why? <laughs> like Tennessee has the more talented roster, and I'm I'll be in. You know this. I'll be in Vegas this weekend. It would be so tough for me to walk up to a window and give up money and three and a half points on Tennessee against anyone. Well, yeah, and plus the dignity, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah, no, I look, BYU's, you know, coach, he, he's fighting for his job this season. Yeah. Um, right now, they've got to be licking their chops. They play physical football. I don't care who the head coach is. Uh, they got some tough, disciplined guys. Tennessee's vulnerable as hell, man. They just got broken up with. They're ready to get taken <laughs> advantage of. So uh, here comes Brigham Young, and I, I think they're going to do it to it. I think they're going to take care of Tennessee. You know, bet slam the over and take the underdog. <laughs> Can Texas say in it? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say that's the motto out there in Vegas. Make sure you live by that. <laughs> can Texas A&M upset Clemson? No, but I think they can cover 17 and a half points. Yeah. Yeah, look, Trevor Lawrence did not look good in game one against Tech. 
That and that may mean absolutely nothing on Saturday, but if he repeats that performance, A and M could leave town on a good note. Like, I mean, can, yeah, can they? Yeah, they can, but will they know? But I think they're they're not going to get blown off the damn uh, field either. Yeah. in my opinion. Clemson repl- replaces basically their entire defensive line. Kellen Mond is going to get his. I don't care who he's playing against. A and M's getting eighteen points. A lot de- depends on if A and M's secondary has improved at all. They probably had the worst DBs in the league last season. Uh, of course, Clemson's wide receivers are, are a touch, tough matchup for anyone. Yeah, that's what I've heard. But I think it's going to be a great game. I mean, it's it's going to live up to the hype. Same thing with LSU and Texas. Uh, you know, I'm going to try to go up to Austin and tailgate that thing because I cannot wait. You, you got the two biggest false hope fan bases in all of college <laughs> football, not named Notre Dame and Georgia there. So it's going to be incredible of the arrogance there. Yeah, Coach O is favored five and a half on the road in Texas. Like we said, we're beginning to kind of buy into LSU. I've also started to buy in on Tom Tom Herman. So Texas has improved during his tenure. His classes have been really good. I, I see them turning the corner with him. They're both ranked in the top ten. Who wins? Whew. Man, that's tough. God, I think LSU's going to squeak one out with a field goal at the end. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I think LSU in a tight one. All I know is that if you think the hype for these two is bad right now, before this game, or to, to enter the season, watch what you get from the winner of this one. Oh, especially if it's Texas, because the media don't give a shit about LSU like they would Texas in terms of a national storyline. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I mean, Texas is, is finally back. Yeah. Absolutely. I still think they're a year away. But, I mean, it could happen this year, and it, it starts this weekend. Yeah, you'll either get Texas's back plastered all over every station and paper and everything that you can think of, or you'll get the typical LSU noise you kind of get no matter how good they are, but it'll just be amplified some. Yeah, you know, the LSU's always pretty chirpy until November rolls around and gets pretty quiet. Um, I think both teams are going to play a pretty damn good game. It's going to be older smash mouth type football and it's not going to be the Auburn Oregon, which actually to me was, I was kind of surprised with how physical it got even outside of the trenches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think this is just going to be one of those enjoy, enjoy these moments while college football still has teams that are good that do the things these teams do. All right. This has been the roll Bama roll podcast. Roll Todd. <laughs>